Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. little bit. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 25, the Bible says, and this is the writing that was written, mene, mene, tekel yufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Whereas thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians and if you if you're just looking at he was Euphars and this is for us one one is the singular tense one is the plural tense of the exact same word okay um, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. For a little while this evening, I want to teach this subject matter. You knew it, but you did it anyway. You knew it, but you did it anyway. All right, let's ask God to help us here this evening. God, we've gathered together tonight again to center our lives around your word and, Lord, to receive wisdom and knowledge and instruction, God, from the word of the Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, in this narrative setting. God, that we could just, Lord Jesus, be attentive and, Lord, connect, God, perhaps with what your word is saying, what the scriptures, God, could say and apply, Lord, to our own lives. I pray, Lord, help me this evening to, Lord, speak it and articulate it, Father, in such a way that your people can understand and we can derive something from this, Lord Jesus, before we leave this evening. I give you the praise and the honor for it in Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Now, between chapter number 4 and chapter number 5, there have been several years that have passed in between these two particular chapters. And for that matter, I'm just kind of going through the book chapter by chapter, uh, but in doing so is not me going through the book chronologically. Because going through it chapter by chapter, in reality, uh, chapters 7 and chapters 8 of Daniel actually fall in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Because whenever you read the scripture uh, in Daniel 7 that we will get to here perhaps in a few weeks, in Daniel 7, in the first verse, the Bible says that Daniel's first dream is during the first year of Belshazzar's reign. It's in his first year. In Daniel chapter number 8, I think it's uh, verse number 1 as well. It speaks of Daniel's second dream being during the third year of Belshazzar's reign. And what we are looking at here this evening in chapter number 5 is the end of Belshazzar's reign. And so chapters 7 and 8 really are nestled in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And whenever we get to them, we see Daniel's dreams that are going to be relating back to a lot of this four kingdom stuff 
that we already learned of that, that King Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed about. So all of that really took place before the chapter that we are studying here this evening. And so the events of chapter number 5 that take place in chapter number 5 really should pique our interest to a certain degree because what chapter 5 is is prophecy is being fulfilled that was already spoken of in earlier chapters by Daniel through the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the imagery, member of gold and silver and brass and iron. What we have taken place in chapter number 5 is really an unfolding of some of the interpretation that he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar concerning that dream. The transition area of the head of gold, which was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, now transitioning into the arms and the breast of silver is happening right here in chapter number 5. You'll remember perhaps a scripture I think I shared with you before of Jeremiah 27 and verse 7. Jeremiah is prophesying concerning Babylon. And he says, All the nations shall serve him. He's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. And his son, remember the second one, Evil Murdoch. We, I love just to say that. Evil Murdoch. Evil Murdoch. And there's a few that usurped the throne after Evil Murdoch. And then his son's son, Belshazzar until the very time of his land comes. So all nations are going to serve Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, the kingdom of Babylon until the very time of their land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. Uh, in other words, at first they're serving him and then he's the dish that they're partaking of. They take away. Uh, the kingdom of Babylon, many nations will. And if you'll remember, and, and I know, some, you know, sometimes we've touched and gone, we've had holidays, so everything gets cloudy sometimes. But uh, if you'll remember, about a couple years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a continuous war that was between the Babylonians and the Medes. And that war lasted approximately about 20 years until uh, the Medes and the Persians overtook Babylon that we see again unfolds right here in chapter number five now whenever we leave nebuchadnezzar in chapter four that's who was king in chapter number four we leave that and now we begin here in chapter number five and here is belshazzar and the bible does not give a very detailed record of the one that's in between uh, evil murdoch it doesn't give a detailed record of that it the Bible, for that matter, doesn't really say a whole lot about evil Murdoch. There's only a couple occasions that he's mentioned in Scripture, but each time he is mentioned in Scripture, uh, he's spoken well of as though he was somewhat of a, a more kind man than Nebuchadnezzar because we understand where his name is mentioned in Scripture, that the king of Judah was in prison, Jeconiah, and the Bible says it was uh, evil Murdoch's, it was by his hand, that he released the king of Judah from prison. So uh, we already see he's quite different from Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have probably just left his soul rotten in prison, but not evil Murdoch. He, he released him. So he's of a kinder sort, but there's not much mentioned about him. Now, and again, some of this is just, uh, I know, information reasons, but whenever it speaks of his son's son, uh, Belshazzar is not the son of evil Murdoch, okay? Belshazzar is not the son of evil Murdoch. Belshazzar is the son of a king by the name of Nabonidus. 
I tell you what, if, uh, if you just said some of these names in history and scripture, uh, you'd really just have to feel after the Spirit that someone wasn't receiving the Spirit. And Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nabonidus was, was really the king. He came to be the king of Babylon, but he didn't like staying at Babylon. <laughs> He's the king of Babylon, but he didn't want to stay in the city of Babylon. And so he brought his son, Belshazzar, to be a co-regent, or if you will, a joint king with him. Because Nabonidus wanted to go around. He still wanted to see the world. He didn't like staying at Babylon. He says, Belshazzar, you stay there and you will be joint kings. So that's the reason why we see Belshazzar's name written here in Scripture. And you never really do see Nabonidus' name uh, mentioned in Scripture, but he is mentioned in history. And so it was the responsibility of Belshazzar being joint heir or joint king, co-regent, if you will, with Nabonidus, his father, to look after the affairs of of Babylon and that's probably why we don't see his name mentioned right here in chapter number five that is his father and so it's also important then it's important that whenever Belshazzar is having this writing on the wall and he's wishing to put uh, gifts of a robe of scarlet and a chain of gold around whosoever's neck can interpret this and also he said he'll give them the third place if you will you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom that's the reason why that person would be the third ruler in the kingdom because his daddy Nabonidus and he himself Belshazzar are co-co-joint kings so the next person would be then the third ruler that's the reason why he states the third ruler of the kingdom so he's going to bestow that upon whoever can tell the interpretation of the dream now here is the setting of what's taken place in chapter 5 as we begin to read. Belshazzar has made a very great feast for thousands. Uh, this is not a small party. Uh, this is not somebody that's just going to meet in your living room. He has made a great feast for thousands of his lords. If you could only begin to measure the amount of meat and drink and all the organization and preparation this is going to take, he is throwing the monumental party of the year. There, there is wine the scripture speaks about. There is food. There is women. And every other imaginable thing that would take place when you put together wine and food and women. Amen. And so here is Belshazzar. He's becoming drunk. He is tasting his own wine that verse number two states. He's tasted his own wine. And so as they're tasting this wine, no doubt they're becoming a little intoxicated. They're not thinking real clearly. And as a result of this, he decides to intensify this party by having the golden and the silver vessels that were at one time stationed in the house of God. Amen. Brought, brought out of now their treasury because Nebuchadnezzar brought them out of the house of God and brought them to the treasury of their God. But now Belshazzar says, let's bring these golden and silver vessels that was placed in our God's house, that was in the God's house, and let's do something about this. If you'll remember in Daniel 1 and verse number 2, if you back all the way to the beginning Nebuchadnezzar see right there uh, part of the vessels of the house of God he carried to that land and that place of Shinar and put it in the house of his God and his treasure houses those were those were snuff dishes you say what's a snuff dish well it doesn't have anything to do with snorting anything I guarantee you 
But there's, there's snuff dishes and there's forks and there's tongs. These were instruments. These were vessels that were used in the tabernacle, that were used in the temple, that priest handled. They were gold and they were silver. They were holy. They were anointed. Uh, whenever they were transported, there were, there were cloths that were put over them that covered them and they were sacred. They were sacred things and these were taken away from the house of God and put in the temple or the treasure house of the God of Nebuchadnezzar. They have sat there for years. They've been in the house of the God of Nebuchadnezzar for years. Now Belshazzar gets this bright idea. It's not very bright. He's intoxicated. He gets this bright idea. I tell you what, those have been over there in the house of our God for years, these sacred, holy vessels. They've only been touched and used by priests. I tell you what, why don't we bring them out of the treasure house and why don't we drink our wine from some of those cups of gold and some of those cups of silver? And the Bible says, you see in verse 4, that while they drank their wine from these sacred vessels, folks, you've got to understand the gravity of these. These vessels were not common. These vessels were used and sacred for the use of the master only. These were dedicated to God for God's use and God's service. But Belshazzar says, we'll take these things that are dedicated to God for his use and service, and we're going to drink our wine out of them. And if you'll note verse number 4, as they are doing this, as they have the sacred vessels of the Almighty God in their hands, the Bible says that they are praising the gods of gold, silver, iron, brass, wood, and stone. I don't think you could desecrate these vessels any more than what Belshazzar is desecrating them. These holy, untainted vessels that was only handled by the most holy priest that's been anointed by the Almighty God, now are in the hands of common women and common men as these vessels used to be for the praise and the adoration of the King of Kings. And now they're using them in such a way of giving praise unto their gods of wood and stone and iron. Amen. And so the setting inside this banqueting house that Belshazzar has is quite peculiar. Whenever you begin to understand the setting outside of the city of Babylon. Now listen to me. According to history, the Medes and the Persians had conquered all of the Babylonian empire except for the city of Babylon itself. They've already conquered all the other places, all the other uh, parts of the Babylonian empire except for the city of Babylon itself. And right at the moment of this huge party, right at the moment that Belshazzar is living it up with his thousands of lords and kings and the wives and the music and the wine, the Medes and Persians right at this very moment are outside the walls of Babylon and they've already been stationed there for a few months. The city of Babylon is under siege and the king knows it. The king knows that all of the Babylonian empire has already been conquered and that the city that he resides in is the only one that has not been conquered yet. He knows there is a threat all about him. Things are bad and have been bad for several months all about him. 
yet he is inside those fortified walls throwing a party. <laughs> now, you ask me this. If your house is surrounded by something that is very evil and wishing to overtake you and dominate you, is the first thing you're going to do is start making your party list out and wondering what pizza you're going to order. It just doesn't make sense. Belshazzar is having the wrong... I mean, let's say someone's already conquered everybody in your subdivision. You're the only house left. All right. You have knowledge of all this. Is your reaction going to be, hey, you know what? This is just a prime, a prime environment for throwing a party. Well, that's what Belshazzar was doing. He had the wrong reaction. But the reason why Belshazzar did what he, he, he had done here is that he believes himself and he believes the city of Babylon to be an invincible city. Amen. He, he has the prophecies, undoubtedly. He has the prophecies that speak of the kingdom of Babylon that it's going to be overtaken, as we have already studied, by an inferior kingdom, yet in the face of all of that, he says, let's party on. Amen. He has no real sense of the danger that's taking place. He knows it's there, but he doesn't feel like it's a threat to him. He believes like he is beyond that. Amen. All of this is around him, but he parties on. I'm here to tell you tonight, that's Babylon. That's the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon had bred inside of Belshazzar a no-worry mentality. That is the type of attitude that it came upon the people and upon the king. And as it was then, so it is now. There was an air about Belshazzar that the normal rules didn't apply to him. See, the tragedy of the spirit of Babylon is this. It will dupe and it will deceive its inhabitants as though they have nothing to worry about. As though the certainties of life does not apply to them, will not apply. That's the spirit of Babylon. It is the same thing that we're seeing today. People are still living life like they've always lived it. There are no worries. What's the big deal? There is no consequences that's going to fall to us. That's the spirit of Babylon because they can look all around them and see that it's bad. It's negative. There's threats on every hand, but the spirit of Babylon wants to deceive you and tell you it's not as bad as you think it is but I'm arising tonight as a preacher of this gospel telling us in this century you better open your eyes because it's just as bad as you think it is and don't succumb to the spirit of Babylon that says don't worry don't pay attention we don't have time to be an ostrich and sick our head in the sand we gotta be aware of our surroundings and not succumb to the mentality of Babylon this world is not invincible. Amen. But Belshazzar had the I don't care attitude. It's the spirit of Babylon. The I don't care attitude. Why? Because he was in Babylon. And Babylon had big walls. As a matter of fact, they say that the city was somewhere around 15 mile square. And that 
It had two big walls that encircled the city. So big, they were so thick that four to six chariots could race abreast on top of the walls. But, but to give you an idea about how thick each of these walls were, they were a little thicker than the length of the inside of this sanctuary. And there was a wall that thick, then there was water, a moat, and then another wall that thick that surrounded all around Babylon. And these walls went up hundreds, mind you, of feet into the air. And so Belshazzar's thinking, I'm all right. This, this, uh, this is an invincible city. For that matter, here they are, they're under a siege. They're under attack, which usually meant you try to starve the people out. But the city of Babylon, according to history, had enough food stored up inside the walls that could last them for 20 years. So Belshazzar's feeling pretty good about himself. We have impenetrable walls. We got a, a good food storage. And you know what? Good food storage means, man, we need to throw a party. <laughs> so we're going to throw a party. For that matter, the empire of Babylon or Babylon itself has not been taken according to history by an army in about a thousand years. We've had a pretty good track record. We've not fallen in this city for about a thousand years. So why should I worry? Let me tell you what all that did. That set up just a spirit inside of him and those people that we should have no worries, have no concern about what everything around us is telling us. You really should be concerned. But he, the spirit of Babylon just took him to a place. Don't worry about that. Don't be concerned about that. And so the Bible says that they praised those gods of silver and of gold and of brass and etc. And, and it was those precious, if you'll look at that, they praised the gods of gold. Look, look particularly, it says gold, silver, brass, iron. And then it goes on and says wood and stone. But those first four metals, those first four metals are some of those precious metals that was depicted in the image that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed that ultimately was destroyed by a stone that was cut without hands. And notice the system of Babylon. There is an increase of disdain in the system of Babylon. Because under Nebuchadnezzar, it was one thing to have stolen the holy, sacred vessels of the temple of God, carry them away, and put them in the temple or the treasury house of their God. That's one thing. That's one act, if you will, against the king of glory. But it's quite another thing to not just leave those vessels there as under the hand of Belshazzar and bring them out of that place and take those holy vessels and desecrate them by using them, amen, in a party that's honoring false gods. See, there's an increase of disdain in the Babylonian system. The spirit of Babylon from the time of Nebuchadnezzar until the time of Belshazzar had increased in her rebellion. They had increased in their disregard for those things that are holy and true. And I'm telling you this evening, if it increased between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, you better know that from then until now, it has intensified to a place Amen. To a rebellion, to a disregard, to a disdain for the things that are holy, it's going to intensify in the times that you and I live. 
Amen. They thought no worries back then. That's just intensified right, right, right now. Because see, that high watermark of misdeeds that Nebuchadnezzar did in the generations that are to follow, that's just child's play. Uh-huh. In one generation, they stole sacred vessels. In the next generation, they're defiling, desecrating those holy vessels. Well, that just sets the springboard of how bad the next generation is going to take it. And I don't know where we are today, but let me tell you, it's B-A-D bad. And consider this. Lend me your ear here for a moment. Babylon is just becoming stronger. Now, if I had anybody on the fringe that wasn't convinced about how invincible the city of Babylon was, and I was king, and I had some people on the fringe that maybe felt a little bit of the threat of the army that had been around them for months and had conquered the rest of the whole empire except for the city I was in, if they were a little bit on the edge about, you know, I wonder if we should be worried or not, I would do the same thing Belshazzar did. Let's have a party. Because not only the party was just a party for a party's sake, but I believe the party was a way for the king to divert the attention of those that were on the fringe about whether or not they should be worried about what's taking place outside the wall. Someone hear me right now? What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. If it seems like the world around you is having a party of a lifetime, a greater disdain for things that are sacred and holy and true, you better take a pulse of the events that are going on around the world. Oh yes, because as it gets worse, the world's going to be throwing their party because they don't want anybody on the fringe beginning to maybe think they should have a cause to worry because that's the deception of the enemy. Somebody hearing me right now. And that's the reason then the testimony of the church is going to have to be that much stronger and convincing and perhaps why sometimes it's that much harder to have a testimony in this day for God and for the church because you're talking to people that believe that they don't have no worries. They find where they're at. You're saved, I'm saved. We don't have anything to worry about. That's the spirit of Babylon. Because we can point, here's a threat, here's a threat. No big deal. I don't care. It's okay. That's the spirit of Babylon that has snapped them into believing, to believing that it does not matter. There should be no worries. It is a ploy of the enemy. Amen. And so it's during this feast. And I gotta, I gotta hurry along here. I'm getting excited about this, I guess. This narrative. It was during this feast then that the proverbial handwriting on the wall takes place. The scripture bears in verse number 5 in particular. Notice what the scripture says. It says, in the same hour. In other words, the people have these, these goblets, these vessels of gold and silver that's, that's sacred. They're praising their gods with them. And in the same hour, there comes a hand. Fingers as of a man's fingers of a man's hand, and they're riding there upon the wall while these people have been praising uh, their gods of gold and silver and drinking from the sacred vessels. The hand appears and it writes upon the wall. And then in verse number six, this is a, a tremendous verse in my opinion because it's a very perfect word picture uh, that describes the fear now 
that came over this no worry attitude King Belshazzar. <laughs> the party was good until the supernatural hand wrote on the wall. And the Bible says in verse 6, then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. His knees were knocking. <laughs> there you go, modern terminology. His knees were knocking. And whenever you see the phrase that his thoughts troubled him, that's not the first time we ever seen that. Because whenever Nebuchadnezzar had his first dream, his thoughts troubled him. You know why? Because he found out that his kingdom wasn't going to last forever. Hey, man, there's going to be one in fear. When he had his second dream, guess what? His thoughts troubled him again. And he had learned that he was going to be a beast grazing in the field. And he was going to have feathers. And he was going to have claws. And he was going to be gone from his throne for seven years. And so we have a little pattern here. Here's a now new king. And ooh, ooh, there's something happening here. I don't understand it. And I feel troubled about this. Ooh, this has not been good for past kings. When they feel troubled, it means something bad for them and their kingdom. And so he's not feeling good about all this. The atmosphere of the party changes. Man, they're drunk and caught and intoxicated, having a good time, food and wine and ladies, and woo, having a great time. But of all sudden, everybody undoubtedly notices, here's a hand that's writing, and they're taking their cue from the king. His countenance is not as happy. He was joking a while ago, but he doesn't look. His countenance has changed. And what's that I hear? Knock, knock, knock. The knees are knocking. And, and, and the whole atmosphere of this surrounding has totally changed. The Bible says even his rulers and the leaders, those people he had around him in verse number 9, undoubtedly taking their, key from, taking their cue from the king, the Bible says they were astonished. Because whenever the leader countenance changes, that affects his subjects. Amen. And so everything changed. Now, according to dear, dear Bishop M.L. Walls, he says that we are told, he said that the walls of such heathen baking houses and halls, he says many times were filled with inscriptions on the walls of the successes of that king's domain. Says many times in those banqueting houses on those walls were written inscriptions of, of the successes of the king's domain. And so we understand then why this is so very important that the hand of God would show up on the same wall where a king's successes were written, God begins to write its doom. And so while he may be, feel pretty proud about all of his successes around him on the wall, God shows up and he's not writing a success. But he's writing a doom. Now, here's the thing, though. Belshazzar just don't feel good about this. He don't know what's being written. He doesn't understand. He can't interpret it. He doesn't understand the writing. And guess what? Surprise, surprise. He gathers his wise men. Those guys are just horrendous. They cannot interpret what's going on. Now, folks, those guys need fired. I'm telling you right now. Those wise men get this is the third time. Three strikes, you're out. They have been useless, amen, to the kingdom. They could not ever do this. But there is a line in there because each time what was given to a dream to Nebuchadnezzar twice, amen, and now unto Belshazzar with the handwriting on the wall, all of that's been given by God. And you're asking a natural man to understand something that's spiritual. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 
Even Daniel himself and given interpretations of dreams and even of the handwriting. Anytime he has shared something, he's plainly told it. This is not me saying this. This is not me doing this. This has come from God. Because it cannot, spiritual things cannot be carnally discerned. They got to be spiritually discerned. And so whenever they hear that they need someone to interpret this, Daniel's kind of been out of the pocket. I don't really know what's happened to Daniel. I don't know whenever the other kings came on command, he was kind of dismissed from his place. I do know Daniel's an old man now. I do know Daniel's probably very easily within his 80s by now. He is an old man. He's been around for many years. But whenever they can't find anybody to, to give the interpretation, the queen, the Bible says, and this, this isn't necessarily the wife of Belshazzar. Uh, it speaks more like it's a wife of one of the previous kings because she has, she has knowledge of Daniel and knowledge of who he was and what he has done. She remembers Daniel. While they're searching for interpretation, she remembers Daniel, and so she tells King Belshazzar, I know a man, basically tells him, he's an excellent spirit. He interprets dreams. He's, he's led of God. He, I, I remember, what's amazing, he's been around for all these years, and this lady still remembers him and remembers his character and remembers his actions. For one, as a child of God, what a testimony. What a testimony as though the kingdom had changed hands and there have been a lot of different things, variables that have happened and changed. This lady still remembered Daniel because of his character and because of his God and his actions. He's an old man, but he's still remembered. Uh, with that in mind, concerning what a testimony for Daniel, and we should also try to emulate in our own lives, uh, there was a little story of a little girl on the way home from church and uh, she turned to her mother and said, Mommy, preacher's sermon this morning confused me now I understand you've all probably been in those shoes when you've left here and the mother said oh why is that and the girl replied well he said that God is bigger than we are is that true yes that's true the mother replied he also said that God lives within us is that true too again the mother replied yes the little girl said well if God is bigger than us and he lives in us wouldn't he be showing through? That is the testimony indeed of Daniel. God is bigger than him, but lived inside of him to the place that he showed through him. Amen. That the queen, amen, could evidently remember the character and the actions of Daniel. And so whenever Daniel comes, Belshazzar says, I've heard of you. And, and he extends to Daniel the same gifts he would extend to anybody that could interpret the dream. I'll give you a scarlet robe and a chain of gold and you'll be third ruler in the kingdom if you can interpret the handwriting on the wall. But Daniel, he's older in life. He's not, he's not mincing words, you know. He's lost some of his di diplomacy. And he just tells him, he says, you can keep your gifts. <laughs> or you can even give them to somebody else. I'm not in this business of interpretation for what I can get. So I'm doing this as unto the Lord. I, I'm not for hire. And so Daniel now, look, he doesn't go straight to interpreting the handwriting on the wall. He takes a moment, although he wasn't asked to, to preach a little bit. <laughs> there's nothing better nothing better than years ago asking somebody to testify and they end up preaching we want you to interpret the handwriting on the wall and poor Daniel older in years he said I'm going to tell you this might be the last message I get you know so I'm just going to hold off and I'm going to preach here for a little while 
And so Daniel begins to recount all of the history of the kingdom of Babylon to Belshazzar. And he basically tells him, King, I want you to know that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the majesty he had. King, God gave him the glory he had. King God gave him the honor that he had. For that matter, King God gave Nebuchadnezzar all the people that he had in his kingdom and his empire. And for that matter, King God took away the throne from Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. Amen. Because your, your, your great-granddad, Nebuchadnezzar, got prideful. And he got arrogant and he got cocky. And God made him go for seven years as a beast all in the field, humbling, amen, him. But God did all that. God stationed this empire to be where it is at at this very moment in time. Look at verses 22 and 23 of Daniel 5. And the Bible says, Daniel, he's finishing up preaching here. He's coming to a close. And he says, and thou his son, speaking Nebuchadnezzar's son, the only reason why they use the word son, there is no word for grandfather, grandson in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. You, you, if, it's a, if it's great, great, great grandson, it's going to be called a son, okay? It's just the way it is. He says, and thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this in other words he's saying you knew that God exalted Nebuchadnezzar and gave him the majesty and the glory and the honor you knew that he was made to be out in the field for seven years as an ox eating all this and he says yet you are coming across just as prideful and just as cocky as he was yet you had knowledge of all this in other words you knew this but you still did what you're doing anyway and he says in verse 23 but hast lifted up thyself against the lord of heaven they have brought the vessels of his house before thee and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them and thou hast praised the gods of silver gold brass iron wood and stone which see not nor hear nor know and the god in whose hand thy breath is you're praising all these other gods and you know better he said, but the God who holds your very breath in his hand, you're ignoring. You're not praising. You're not worshiping. Whose ways are all thy ways thou hast not glorified. You've glorified all these lesser things, but the God that put Babylon where it's at gave the majesty, the power, and you knew all this. You didn't do anything about it anyway. You knew the failings of your granddad Nebuchadnezzar. You knew the mistakes of those generations before you, but you've not even taken time to learn from their mistakes. You knew all this, but you did it anyway. You're traversing the same path that he walked. You didn't humble yourself, though you knew all of this. And so the interpretation, Daniel now comes to the interpretation. I'm trying to run here. Amen. Mene, mene, tekel, you farce to mean, number one, mene basically means numbered. Tekel basically means weighed. You farce basically means divided. And so even if they knew numbered, numbered, <laughs> Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That still wouldn't make too much sense to him. But Daniel knew the context in which they were set. Meaning that God hath numbered his kingdom and finished it. And that he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. And that the kingdom of Babylon was divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And this is fulfilled prophecy of going from the head of gold to the breast and arms of silver in the image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen. So Belshazzar did not heed the lessons of Nebi. 
And even history bears out that he was known as one of the most foolish kings in history. Perhaps one of the reasons why, if we can draw a little wisdom from the book of Proverbs 29 and verse 1, the Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. Nebuchadnezzar was given a year to repent before he turned into the beast. Remember? And he didn't, he didn't do anything about that. But here Belshazzar, in the same night that the doom is spoken, the Bible says in verse number 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. If you'll stand with me this evening, and I won't rehash, but if you'll remember, the Bible says Darius the Mede came and overtook the kingdom, which in reality it was Cyrus the Great who did the fighting. If you'll remember, Cyrus the Great did the fighting. That was the nephew of Darius the Median. Darius was his uncle. Darius wasn't much of a fighter. Cyrus was. Cyrus the Great did the fighting, but he, he conquered Babylon in the name of Darius. And he went on to do some conquering. Cyrus did, so Darius was there uh, to rule the Median. And if you will remember, I'm just causing your mind to remember because I've already talked about all of this. Isaiah spoke before Cyrus was ever born, remember? About 100 years or so before Cyrus was ever born. He named him by name said he would be the one that would conquer Babylon. And if you will remember, they diverted that great river of Euphrates that passed through Babylon. It dried up, and they were able to go in a dry riverbed. The gates were unlocked. Scripture bears this out prophetically in Isaiah 44, that this would be the case. And so they were able to go through the riverbed, and as the party was taking place in the banqueting house, the Medes and the Persians come in according to prophecy, and they overtake the city. Belshazzar's gone. And what he thought was a no worry. <laughs> Payday. Worry. And it, was, and it happened in the very same night. Listen, folks. This is how serious it is. This is how serious it is. Because it, there is much to worry about around us. If you're a child of God, there is no worry. I, 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 I know where I'm headed. I know I'm going to take it, be taken out of this place. But there's going to come a time that Something's going to happen like a thief in the night. No man knows the day nor the hour. And while some are partying, literally or figuratively, and suppose have the attitude of no worry, will be when everything's going to unload and shake down and a rapture of the church is going to take place. And there's going to come a time in which the world has never been subjected to yet of gross happenings. Because the spirit of Babylon is going to continue among the people until the Lord comes back and sets up his throne here on earth. We have a thousand year millennium with him. Amen. So he did it. He knew it. knew all about it. But he did it anyway. So I admonish us this evening. Amen. That if we are not a part of the church, and I'm not talking about first apostolic church, but if we are not a part of the body of Christ, we have every reason to worry. If you are not a part of the body of Christ, you have every reason to worry. And I don't care what the lies and the deceptions of the world around you is telling you, no big deal, it doesn't matter. Or that's some cunningly devised fable that's never going to come into existence. The scripture even said in the New Testament in Thessalonians, I believe it is, that there would come a time that men would say they spoke of his coming, but he's never came. It's even spoken in our word. And you've heard it yourself. Maybe you've had doubtful disputations in your own mind concerning that. 
rest assured, God is going to stay true to his word and it's going to come to pass just as he said. And if you're part of the church, no worries. But if you're not a part of it, you better take your finger and stick it in the wind. Amen. Hallelujah. Because the walls that we, they have made for themselves are not impenetrable. And I don't care how much food they have stored. You know, have all these doomsday preppers even, you know, building bunkers in the ground and they're storing up food. Honey, you do whatever you want to do to prepare for that day. Your best preparation is have Jesus Christ baptize you with his spirit. And be baptized in the water and allow those sins to be washed away. Amen. Let's bow our heads this evening, Father. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.